electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site on a day when the S&P 500 topped 5,000 for an instant. <laughs> this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. What is wrong with Google? Shares apparent Alphabet far underperforming the rest of the MAG7 this year. And the company's latest AI offering being met with a yawn. So what can Google do to turn things around? Plus, Mind the Gap, shares of Arm, Disney Today, Meta last week, Netflix last month. Breaking out to new highs in a big way, why one of our traders says this kind of action should be concerning to investors. And later, a Pinterest pivot shares down more than 20% at its lows after hours, recouping most of the losses. The company announcing an ad partnership with Google. The CEO will join us exclusively later on in the show. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. And we start off with the S&P hitting a major milestone right at the close. For a moment, just a moment, ticking above 5,000 before ending the day just two points below. The index still finishing the day with a record close. The Dow did as well. The S&P setting, uh, the Nasdaq, excuse me, setting a fresh two-year high. The S&P's strength comes on the back of rallies in the mega-cap names. NVIDIA, Meta, Eli Lilly, all up 25% or more so far this year. So now that we've hit this big round number, mm. where do we go from here? <laughs> Hi, Mel. <laughs> no, look, congratulations. I mean, for everybody bullish on the desk, everybody but me, that's an amazing run. But I'll say this. I took the math in college for at least a day, and, you know, 5,000 divided by 250 of earnings, which you're not going to get, is still a 20 multiple. So then ratchet down earnings, which are probably closer to 225, and we're looking at a market that's probably trading close to 22 and a half times, which historically is pretty expensive. Now, you could say, you know what, it's justified. The rest of the world slowing down. United States, you want to be there. You should pay up for the growth. You should pay up on the multiple. I'm not one of those people that believes that, though. Well, first of all, I haven't been one of those people you're talking about who have been bullish on the desk. But when you think about just what's gone on here, I mean, we talked about the multiple expansion that we saw last year. We saw the concentration of the top names in the S&P 500, which really just blew out the multiple um, of the S&P 500. There's plenty of sectors, and you guys have identified them that trade at very cheap multiples. But here's the thing about that expected growth, and guys talking about, okay, if S&P earnings estimates for this year are probably too high. You know, we had 3% GDP growth last year. The Fed told us they're expecting 1.5%, you know, this year. So with that, you would assume that earnings for S&P 500 companies would come down at a time where we've seen the dollar rally. We've seen crude oil just rally, what, 7% or so on the week. So a lot of those inflationary pressures that may get aggravated by further geopolitical issues, that sort of thing, further supply chain issues, it just seems like it's really not discounting a whole heck of a lot of headwinds that we might see in the not-so-distant future this year. Isn't it all about rates, though? And the fact that we know that rates are going to come down, that we've probably seen... Wait, do we know that, though? Because we knew that. We thought we knew that at 3.8% a few weeks ago, uh, but I just looked there at 4.15 in the 10-year. I think think rates are still on an uptrend. I think if you look at a two-year chart of the 10-year, and I know we had that spike down to 385, but basically we're here around 405, 4%, excuse me, on the 10-year, I actually think is the bottom of this uptrend. And And until proven otherwise, I think rates are still potentially at risk of moving higher. 
It gets back to also equities at 5,000 on the S&P. You'd think it was Tina time. In other mm. words, there is no alternative. There is an alternative. And asset allocation provides that alternative. And, and volatility is extremely cheap. So buying protection right now is also, I think, a very bright thing to do. It's, if you look at the NASDAQ, which is where most of this growth uh, is coming from, at least a lot of it, um, that CPI, where we peaked on inflation in, no, in no, October 13th of 2022, the Nasdaq's up 65%. Okay, 65% in about 15 months. Uh, and if you look at where we were, even just going back to uh, kind of the October 26th inflection in the markets, again, these moves are, are shocking, and you've got chips up almost 45 to 50%. So the question is, is the market pricing in uh, in advance this type of growth that, that I think on some level has been validated in the CapEx spend and in the tech sector, but on some level, as these guys point out, there's, there's a lot priced into what's going to happen in terms of earnings in a world where apparently equities don't care about discount rates and don't care about the functional way you value companies because stock 500 basis points higher are, are up... Uh, uh, we're probably up 50% from that pre-COVID level um, when rates were a lot higher. 50% on the S&P from pre-COVID. Well, I, I think the market's not a monolith, right? We talk right. about that all the time. So you've had this very, very dense concentration, and they put up some very big numbers. And um, when you're saying you think rates have bottomed, are you saying that you don't think the Fed will cut, or you just think the supply-demand dynamic or whatever it might be or inflation will have us have rates higher. That that may no, be that's I, what you're I, saying. Are you say, but if you're saying the Fed's not going to cut, that's sort of a different thing. I, I just said I think the upward the uptrend in rates is still with us. Um, I'm not saying I think the Fed's going to hike. I'm not uh-huh. saying I think the Fed's going to cut. Well, I think new right. rates. I, I think I, I I think the ten year has a chance to to get through the levels that we saw. I mean, just just uh, around five percent. When that happens, I don't know. But some of the same issues on deficit dynamics and the size of the refunding supply and some of the corporate governance issues they're not any different. They're probably worse. But the GDP numbers are well above where I thought they would be, well above, I think, where most people thought they would be. So something's going on in the economy that's good, right? So I think that that deserves somewhat of a higher multiple. Now, I don't know, is it 2021, 22 or 18? I don't know. But I think we have this divergence between ones that are so much higher and plenty that are attractive still. Mm -hmm. From a record high to an announcement, an AI announcement met with a yawn that is Alphabet closing just above the flat line after CEO Sundar Pichai officially rebranded its AI chatbot Bard as Gemini, launching a new app and subscription option in the process. Pichai talked about the move this morning on Squawk Box. Bard was the most direct way people could interact with our models, right? And, and so it made sense to just evolve it to be Gemini because you're actually talking directly to the underlying Gemini model when you use it. And I think it'll also be the way by which we will keep advancing our models and users can experience it uh, directly. And so we thought the name change made sense. Gemini was supposed to launch last November, but ran into delays. Alphabet's been trying to keep up with Microsoft in the AI space and has so far uh, underperformed its peers in the MAG7 with the exception of Tesla. So what is wrong with Google? Why the yawn? Why didn't it get any credit for this sort of rebranding, this new product, subscription service? Should all be good in theory. 
In theory, it should be good. I mean, a couple of times they've been sort of, it's almost a Charlie Brown kind of thing where, you know, Microsoft put up some huge numbers. I think they kind of should be a little bit embarrassed by the meta numbers for, you know, the comparison between the two is just, you know, the year of efficiency was wildly, wildly great for meta. Mm -hmm. Uh, Google's year of efficiency was hardly efficient at all. I think they cut 4% of their workforce. Um, I don't think, I, I don't get this rebranding thing. I don't, I, I don't, uh, I don't really, they knew it was Gemini all along, sort of. I don't know why they came out with BART. I don't know that that really matters, but they just seem to be sort of a step behind, even if the product will end up being as More good. Yeah. Right. Um, and so it's disappointing. The, uh, the cloud growth was decent, but not as good as some others. So multiple sort of disappointments. I was really happy when Ruth Porat came in and it sort of ushered in a new era. We're going to have more transparency. We're going to understand what's losing money. We're going to start doing a buyback. So long ago. It was 2015. I yeah. looked it up. <laughs> yeah. And, and so that, that was a huge, huge run for the stock. They need Ruth Porat stepping into a different role. They need another reboot like that. Well, here's the thing. I'm going to say, I'm going to take the other side of this thing. And I'm going to say, Alphabet has nine products with over a billion users. They obviously Google search with over three billion, Android with three billion, um, Chrome with two and a half billion. I mean, the list goes on. Gmail, you know, uh, YouTube, the list goes. When this company finally gets their act together and they have this chat bot that they can kind of integrate across all of those sorts of products and they're charging this price point and it seems like $20 a month is the price point because that's where, uh, you know, a chat GPT is, that's where perplexity is and the like. And so I feel like they will get their act together. But Microsoft really got, the, I guess, that push, that last trillion dollar push. It was about across 365. It was across their products. It wasn't about that uh, uh, OpenAI chat GPT-4. Now, they obviously have a foothold into that technology, and they're going to be kind of benefiting from that. But so to me, I think Google will have an opportunity. But they like literally started out last year with that really bad Bard launch, and then they ended last year with the bad Gemini thing. And then this one just fell like a lead balloon. So sooner or later, they're going to get it together. And I think the valuation that you that you hold dear to your heart will probably appreciate that some, at some point this year. I, I just, I mean, I'll get back to the stock and the performance, and I don't see this underperformance. I mean, I, I see a stock that's outperformed the NASDAQ, at least as a group, by 10% in the last year, and has underperformed the NASDAQ it over the last two years by 11%. Though. I'm sorry? It, this company, which is extraordinary, trades at a market multiple. It, it, it's, that, it's, to me, is an underperformance. Okay, but it, we're, we're kind of dropping this into the context of AI and why they seem to be, like, losing out and why, you know, the Gemini is not all that is exciting all and rebranding. Is it part and parcel, though, to the, to the multiple? Well, it, it may be part and parcel to the multiple, but, but, but Google's traded at this multiple forever. In other words, there's nothing different no, today no, than happened. yesterday. Well, well, yesterday it did, yeah. Okay, but, but, <laughs> I mean, but, flat but, but, but again, <laughs> Google's underperformance to the NASDAQ, which we just talked about the moves that the NASDAQ have had over the last couple of years, it's underperformed by 11%. I mean, I'm looking at the chart here. That doesn't really, I mean, you know, when you consider the extraordinary moves that you've had in Microsoft and, and certainly NVIDIA um, and, and Apple's kind of sideways run, I mean, I understand then we bring it back to, you know, what's wrong with Google? Are they not innovating? Are they not, you know, are they going to get their lunch eaten by Microsoft and AI, whether it certs their core business? Um, I don't think the market's telling me that right now. And I think Google's multiple is attractive. So, I mean, and, I do too. I'm it, long, so, and, and I agree with the Ruth Porat and I agree with the black box and some of the issues and, and around governance. I agree that the multiple should be higher and should should be more aligned with some of its mag seven peers. I'm not or sure. No, I'm not sure. So. I mean, I, look, I don't think the multiple should be anywhere close to the predictability of the revenue stream that Microsoft has on the software side and the margins there and NVIDIA is in its own world.
Look, market multiple. So was it a little north of 18-ish, right? You're talking about a company with 14.5% revenue growth-ish. Same about revenue growth, 14%-ish. It should trade it reasonably at 22, 23 multiple without question. What's wrong with Google are the names we talk about every night. NVIDIA, Microsoft, and these other names are just going parabolic. So in comparison to that, yeah, that's a problem. But my grandmother used to say to me, little guy, little, you know you. this. That's and was me. she talking about... Your was she calling you a little guy, or was she talking about a, a smaller version well, I was, of you? I was small at one time, oh. believe it or not. But she said, little guy, slow and steady wins the race. And she's right. I mean, these other things, they're off to the race. It's good for them. They're obviously pacing the field, lapping the field. But don't give up on Google here. I mean, maybe it hasn't performed like those stocks, but there's nothing not to like in terms of the company. All right. Well, let's bring in Melius, head of technology research, Ben Reitzes, who says Google's new chatbot Gemini is evolutionary, not revolutionary, that Google needs to prove that it can monetize its AI technology effectively. Ben, great to have you with us. Um, what does Google, what does Alphabet need to do here to close that gap in valuation? Can it? It's going to be hard to close the gap with Microsoft. I look at Google and Microsoft uh, a bit. I, I try to pair trade them and talk about both. And Microsoft's in rare, rarefied air right now. You know, you got to remember Microsoft's revenue is mostly recurring, mostly subscription, like almost all of it. And in Google, they talked in this call about 15% or so of their revenue being subscription. So the light bulbs come on here and they say, you know, we got to get our subscription revenue going like Apple, re-rated with that, right. maybe obviously Microsoft's already re-rated. So that would be something that this, this announcement is aimed at revving up. The subscription revenue is key to re-rating this multiple, and they got to get that recurring revenue up. So how is this a first step um, in terms of the, the packaging of, uh, you know, you get access to this uh, chatbot, to the AI product, you also get free storage. I mean, how does this bring people into, you know, spending more on subscription services from Google. Well, that's one of the advantages Apple has with its ecosystem mm -hmm. is that when you're when you're in the iOS ecosystem, you buy Apple services, but you know, Android there it's a little forked, it's a little it's a little fragmented. It's not as obvious to all these Android users to just upgrade to the Google subscriptions, but they need to market it, they need to make sure people are aware of it. I personally think people are confused. I mean, 2 months ago they had an event saying you know, all these other models, and now they're rebranding it. It feels like they're throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. And the other companies in the MAG-7, even Apple, have are focused. And we're going to not have as many doubts about what they're doing. Google needs to focus and make sure we know what's going on and increase that subscription revenue. So, Ben, we just talked a little bit about this relative underperformance of some of those peers. And when you think about it, on my iPhone right now, I have Perplexity and I have ChatGPT, and I'm paying $20 for both. Now, I'm trying them out, and at some point, I will have Gemini on my thing, too. But can I tell you one thing I'm doing a lot less of? Searching on Google right now. Mm -hmm. So if you get tied to one of these apps, and it's probably only going to be one of them for most consumers, especially at that subscription price point, that is likely the headwind that I think a lot of investors are focused on is that they think about Google. Does that make sense? Absolutely. The, the big uh, overhang here is that search is going to be disrupted by AI. We move to, and, and a lot of, and by the way, I haven't, I've talked to a lot of people, no one exactly knows what it's going to look like, but people think you're going to speak into a phone and get an outcome rather than a search. And Google may be cut out at least a little in some way, shape or form in that. They need to tell us this year, I'm talking this year, to make this stock really a winner, they need to say, this is how we're going to monetize this thing. And we, here's the tool. Here's how it works. Here's how it dovetails right into Google Ads. 
and then everybody needs to have the aha moment. We thought we had it with the SGE announcement way back, but we still don't know exactly how we're going to monetize it. So of the different buckets that they have, advertising and cloud, and I mean, they do have some subscribers, YouTube, for example, but where do you, I mean, none of them seem to be sort of hitting on cylinders that are, that others in that particular silo are. And why do you think that is? Well, I think that actually, I mean, YouTube is fantastic. They have... Uh, yeah, YouTube is. I mean, but it's not big enough, piece right. of the pie. I mean, it's search is what it is. And you've got to go into every quarter and build that search business and, and do it. And, you know, Microsoft's recurring. But, you know, search isn't as recurring. You think it is because they dominate and everybody needs it. But it's not, it's not technically a subscription <laughs> revenue, right? Um, I think in general, the cloud they have is subscale compared to the other two big guys, even though it's huge business, 37 bill run rate. They need to they should, they got to take that margin from 7.6 to like 15 plus 7.6 is not acceptable. You know, you got to get serious here. I mean, AWS is close to 30. You know, Microsoft is able to raise margins almost every quarter. God knows how Amy does it. But. That's what you're competing with for dollars. And now you have Andy Jassy looking like he really cares about profits on the retail side. So dollars can go there. So uh, on, they need to get the profits up there. Other bets loses about you know, 30 cents a year. Uh, a lot of people you know, would like to see that you know, real, like not just announcements. And it feels, you know, Ruth's really got to get in there. We got to feel that Ruth's really running with this thing. Look at, look at what Zuckerberg did. Right. You know, pe you're competing with capital with all these. So when you talk about Google, guys, you got to understand there people are with the mag seven to saying, do I put my money here or there? And they got to start doing what the other guys are doing. So let me ask you specifically about search. Then if there is some sort of threat to the search business, how do you think about the addition of subscription revenues versus the loss potentially of advertising revenue? Well, as a push-pull in, in their business model. There's no magic model. Sure, um, but I mean, in terms of the rates, <laughs> will, will it be enough to offset as this transition is happening? I think the fear is no, um, but uh, the, there is also my view that search is going to be pretty stable. It's just a question of upside. Um, you have all the other companies upsiding all the time, but search, uh, the way I read it from Google, they are going to infuse more AI features into search. All this is to augment search. We need to have that aha moment that search is going to keep growing pretty close to double digits so it doesn't drag us down. And we just don't have it yet or else it would be trading at a premium. Ben, thanks for coming by. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much. Great to be here. Amelius. Appreciate it. Guy, what do you no, think? I think Ben says it's spot on. They got to get that to improve their margins. But that's not an entire indictment of the company as a whole, which still trades at a very reasonable valuation. At least you can sort of game out where Google's going to be. The last couple quarters disappointing. Stock comes raging back. Why? Because valuation wise, you can still wrap your head around it. Well, Ben mentioned reference and Andy Jassy and his focus on, on the retail business. I just see overall margins at Amazon are coming up. I think of the mega caps, uh, again, whatever group that now is, uh, I think Amazon's as interesting as anybody. And, and it's a combination of what you're seeing in cloud, what you're seeing uh, in terms of AWS, that margin, you know, whether it's not a lot of growth, they got a little bit of growth. Uh, but the free cash flow here is something that I think is very impressive. I think it's the best chart of them all. I don't know if you guys remember when Susie Orman was on and it was the night Microsoft reported and was oh, right. up and Google yeah. was up and reported and was down. And the question was at the end of the day, all right, which would you rather? And a lot of us seem to rather, I certainly did, rather Google than Microsoft at what seemed mm -hmm. to be lofty levels. Well, it's loftier now. 
Google's a little off, not much. Uh, so, you know, shout out to Susie. Good for her. She gets done picking by her. <laughs> Turning now to a couple of movers rocketing higher today on the back of earnings. Shares of Arm soaring more than 50% after an earnings beat and strong forecast. And check out Disney. That's up almost 12% after beating the street raising guidance and announcing a 50% increase to its dividend. It was its highest close in over a year. Meta and Netflix, remember, had similar pops after their latest reports. But are these monster breakouts a cause for concern? Or should we just cheer them, Dan? You know, listen, I think the Disney one's very different, right? So Disney is well off its highs. It's had a whole host of issues, you know, its own issues, competitive issues. There's, you know, challenges to the board and all that sort of thing. But that gap, uh, you know, again, is something that, you know, it didn't really see a downtick for most of the day today. It just tells you that investors, once these stories get going and they break out, they just keep buying them. So to me, it really speaks to something about sentiment. The thing that was going on with Arm today um, is really scary to me. Okay, so SoftBank, you know, they had a hard time getting this deal out at the right price back in September. They sold 10% of the company. The thing has been literally left for dead. It's been going sideways for a while, left out of this whole AI boom. And, you know, the revenue guidance that they gave, I'm telling you, I'm like shocked that the stock was even moving up 20% when you guys were probably covering it last night based on that guidance. So when I see a company that... IPO 10% at $51 and at one point today was almost up $51, up 60% or something like that. I say something's kind of going haywire here in the markets because, and it's not the companies doing it. They gave the guidance. They did the conference call. They went on TV and they talked about it. It's what investors are doing. And and so to me, I think that's the thing that I just really want to be careful because we've seen a lot of these stocks break out to new all-time highs on massive volume. People are piling into it. And at this, at some point, they just can't go much higher. Well, when they came out, though, it was like August when they started the roadshow, maybe, and, and it yeah. came out in yeah. September. But it was a different chip market then, right? The expectations were we were still falling. So I don't know. That, is that worth 100% more? Probably not. This was scary, I thought. The broader point, though, is that it is not uncommon to see double-digit percent increases yeah, or but, decreases on the back of earnings, which was not necessarily the case a couple of years ago. But arms its own freak show. But, sure. you know, Disney, I mean, come on. You know, they, they cost savings are going to exceed the $7.5 billion by 27. You've got operating income that's now up 23 percent. You've actually got the div dynamic. Uh, GM, like, think of all the companies that gave you these double. These are companies that have done zero. We talk about all these companies that have done a lot. I mean, these are companies that valuation, they were, GM was less than Four times when they reported like their numbers. Up. Disney, you get the entire DTC business for free and just own the parks at a great multiple. That, that's what's going on. It Sometimes it takes a catalyst. All right. Coming up, we've got some after-hours action as earnings season rolls on. Shares of Affirm, Capri, and Pinterest all on the move after, uh, move lower, I should say, after reporting the numbers are out. And uh, we'll get them in the trade ahead. And we will get more on Pinterest from the CEO himself. Bill Reddy will join us to lay out why his shares are getting hammered after hours. That exclusive interview later on this hour. Do not go anywhere more fast money into this is fast money with melissa lee right here on cnbc you seek the key but first you must learn the ways of precision craft and performance with acura's all-electric zdx with a premium bang and olufsen sound system up to a 313 mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. 
I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings alert now for Capri Holdings, the company behind Jimmy Choo, Versace, and Michael Kors posting a miss on the top and the bottom lines. Shares are lower after hours. Courtney Reagan's here to take us inside the numbers. Hey, Court. Hey, Melissa. You know, shares are down, but down only about 2%. Feels kind of like a muted reaction to me for some pretty disappointing results, really, for Capri Holdings for the quarter. So this quarter ended December 30th, so earlier than what the other retailers will end their quarters when we hear from them a little later. But Capri Holdings missing earnings by a pretty wide margin, falling short of revenue expectations overall and then also by brand. Gross margin was in line at 65%. The company isn't giving any guidance with both Capri and Tapestry saying today that the deal for Tapestry to acquire Capri is still expected to close this year, and that's the reason for none of the guidance. Now, each of Capri's brands missed estimates, as I mentioned. Versace revenue down almost 9%. Michael Kors down more than 5.5%. Jimmy Choo down 1.2%. And CEO John Idle did note softening demand for fashion luxury goods, but also said sales trends improved sequentially in the quarter with its own stores and retail sites doing better than the wholesale channel. Now, there's no earnings call here today again because of that pending deal. So this is about as much detail as we're going to get at this point. Melissa. All right, Courtney, thanks. Courtney Reagan, the after hours move contrasts with what we've uh, seen from other retailers during the regular session. Ralph Lauren saying uh, actually having its best day in three years, up nearly 17 percent after reporting a beat on the top and the bottom line. Coach Parent Tapestry and Gucci Parent Caring also higher. So what does this say about the state of the high end consumer? And Karen, I know you have thoughts on the deal as well. Yeah. Okay. so first to the deal. it's great that Tapestry was talking about the merger and, you know, as if, OK, we're going to close this year. It's going to happen. We kind of knew Capri would not be great. They delivered. Not great. Um, so that's OK, because the merger's still on. It's a very tight merger agreement. So there's uh, a very high likelihood, very high likelihood it closes. I would like to have seen some a uh, little more detail about if there is an FTC time frame for when they would approve this deal. I would think they should. But so. That's what it's trading on right now, just the deal. High end is bulletproof. I mean, American Express, I think, told you that, and you see it with some of these stocks. The flip side of the coin is a McDonald's saying now, or at least the customer's pushing back on how expensive things are there. And you heard very similar a year and a half ago from a Dollar General. So you talk about that chasm, it continues to widen out. Coming up, no cheat days in the weight loss drug battle with so much focus on Lilly and Novo Nordisk. Is there any room for any new players? The company hoping to tip the scale and more on the GLP-1 race next. Plus, more earnings action coming your way. Affirm and Pinterest on the move after reporting its results. We'll get the details in an interview with the Pinterest CEO, Bill Reddy, straight ahead. You're watching Fast Money live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. The S&P 500 hitting 5,000 for the first time ever with just seconds left in today's session, but closed just under that milestone. The major indices all closing with small gains now on three-day winning streaks. Some more after-hours movers. Take-Two and Expedia both dropping after reporting. Expedia announcing a CEO transition plan, while shares of Cloudflare jump after beating up the top and the bottom lines. Meanwhile, hedge fund manager David Einhorn making some headlines today, saying he views the market as fundamentally broken. He points to a growth in passive algorithmic investing as the main market driver. Einhorn adding, passive investors have no opinion about value. They're going to assume everybody else has done the work. We've said this for a long time in terms of the impact and the growing impact of ETFs and passive investing. But do you think it goes as far as saying the markets are broken in some view, in some way? Well, the, the power of the ETF world has certainly changed some of these passive dynamics. And, and if we know and people do their homework and they're self-directed investors, they're not buying and falling asleep. I think they're, they're out there and they understand that over time uh, markets are compounding and, and that that's the power of what this is. So um, and, and to be clear, on some level, the fact that Typically, what you've seen from the passive investors, uh, they've been selling at the absolute wrong time. And, and they've hung in there during some difficult times over the last couple of years. So um, getting back to fundamentals, though, look, the fundamentals don't make a whole lot of sense. And we just did that in the first block. David Einhorn, I think, is one of the most talented managers out there. And there are points in which you can you know, be overthinking things, not suggesting that's what's going on there. I think that's what goes on in a lot of places. So right now, there's a lot of moves that we're seeing in this market that don't make a lot of sense and reflect reality, but uh, you can't fight it. Money flows are powerful, but it doesn't mean the market's broken. It just means the market's obviously changed over the years, which, and you have to be able to adapt with it. Clearly something I have not been able to do. <laughs> Old dogs and tricks, right? All right, coming up, slim chances in the obesity drug battle. Shares of Amgen under pressure after its weight loss drug data isn't enough to hype up investors. So is there any squeezing into this competitive space? Mizuho's Jared Holes will help break down the data and why he says the bar is so high for any new players. Don't go anywhere. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Amgen shedding nearly 9% so far this week after giving trial data from its experimental weight loss drug, Maritide. Those results showing patients lost up to 14.5% in their body weight in 12 weeks with the monthly injection. With many keeping off the weight after stopping treatment, still our next guest is skeptical that the drug can meet the high bar set by Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly. Jared Holes is a healthcare sector strategist at Mizuho. Jared, great to have you with us. I mean, even 14.5% is is fantastic. But when you compare it to the percentage of weight that you can lose on the other drugs, it doesn't stack up, not to mention that uh, so many participants in the trial had to drop out at the higher doses. Do you sort of write off that Amgen obesity drug part of the story from Amgen? I mean, should we give up on that? Well, Melissa, I think it's too early to give up on it completely. Um, You know, there's a lot of data that is yet to come out from the company. But just from what we've learned early on, you know, about the high dose and, and the dropout rate being fairly high at, at almost 50%. I think the company just has a lot to prove in this category. And it's not like the drug is disinteresting or the data is super disappointing. But when you kind of juxtapose it against what we already know from 
Novo and Lily, which have been, you know, pretty outstanding so far and are years ahead. You know, it's just I think the bar, like you alluded to, is so high here and they just have a lot to prove. So let's say this drug gets out. I mean, at, at that point in time, does it stand to actually gain any market share given it's, you know, the efficacy is lower. It's still an injectable. I mean, there, it's, there are not many improvements on the surface, at least with this drug compared to the others that are on the market already. Yeah, I agree. I, I think when when you look at Lillian Novo and what they've been able to accomplish, you know, patients are basically you know, like fighting to get the injections and they're more than willing to inject themselves once a week, right? That hasn't seemed to be a deterrent at all so far. Um, you know, obviously, as we go through, you know, the market development and we see behavioral patterns from patients, maybe, you know, a more infrequent injection is still preferred at the end of the day. But I think Amgen's project that they're working on now still requires multiple injections on the day that you inject. So it's not like it's one needle versus four needles for a Novo or a Lily. It's still basically the same amount of shots that you have to give yourself. So if it's about being averse to injections or whatever, I just don't think that's going to be enough for Amgen to come in here and take a lot of the market. Could they take some just based on you know, what we know is a very difficult supply chain dynamic today and probably over the near term, yes, for sure. But, you know, if Novo and Lilly get their act together and can produce more, I don't really think it's going to have a big place. I really don't. Jared, it's Karen. A clarification and a question. When it said uh, they kept the weight off for up to 150 days, did they then not keep the weight off or that was all that the trial ran and couldn't they compete on price? Yeah, the, the first question, I, I don't know. Um, I really don't know the answer. It's probably the fact that that's when the data cutoff was. I, I don't think they would give you that detail. And then on the you know 151st day, these people start gaining weight. So you know from that element, I think the trial does look interesting. We just don't know you know exactly in a real world setting what Lillian Novo looked like over that exact time period. Are they keeping the drug off if they're not on the drug? Or, you know, because most of the patients are, are staying on for longer than that duration, I would think. Um, on price, yes, definitely. But I think it's going to be hard to, to compete on price to a significant degree unless your manufacturing and your productivity get to a point where your yields are fantastic and you can, you can offer better pricing. But I would think that would be one tactic they would use for sure. Are there any publicly traded companies who are developing obesity drugs right now who we should actually look at and say they might be on the verge of of a real competitor to Eli Lilly's and, and Novo Nordisk's drugs? Well, I think on the oral side, there there are. So Viking Therapeutics is one of them. This is VKTX, Structure, GPCR, um, Altimmune, ALT, and Rhythm, RYTM. These are four. I'm sure I'm missing some. Uh, these are four small cap biotech names that are all working on some modality of treatment, either injectable or oral. I'm pretty confident at, at this point, just given what we saw earlier this week with Novo spending $11 billion just for manufacturing, mm -hmm. it's going to be difficult for any of these small cap companies to compete there. But maybe on the orals, they have a chance. Jared, thanks. Always good to see you. You too. Thank you. Jared Hulse.
What do you think, Tim? Well, I, I bet uh, small cap stocks that are in this space are ones that are probably moving right now. And I think people are looking for the opportunity to find that next pot of gold. And by the way, in biotech and certainly some of these smaller names, that's why people trade in those stocks. Um, you know, back to Amgen, this is a, a company that sometimes what gets lost is that there's a lot of catalysts for this company in 24 that are outside of some of the things that were some of the disappointment data on GLP. Inflammation, rare disease, there's, there's a lot of things in the pipeline that I think are really why the analysts are putting the multiple higher on this company, no matter what they do in GLP. You know, Mel, you asked the, the question I would have asked because it's really hard. Right now, Lily's $700 billion in market cap. It's already up 26% of the year. We know that where they are in this position. We know Novo just made that acquisition. So how else do you kind of play this? Tim, you're Pfizer. You know what I mean? Might they buy one of those small cap companies that might have, you know, like, like some of those mega caps are going to have to get in this game, and especially if they're not having any real success on the oral front or some of these other ones. So I suspect we will see more M&A as some of these big guys need to kind of have exposure here. Coming up, a firm all over the place after earnings down as much as uh, 20% after hours. Is the buy now, play, pay later pioneer worth buying at all? We'll debate that. And Pinterest down as much as 25%, then positive at one point. We'll be joined by Pinterest CEO Bill Reddy for an exclusive first look inside his company's latest report right after this. Fast Money's back in two. Money. Pinterest shares falling in the after hours. The stock coming back after sinking as much as 28 uh, percent, but still down. The social media stock reporting a, re- a miss on revenue, but getting a bit of a boost after announcing an ad partnership with Google. CNBC's Julie Borson joined by Pinterest CEO Bill Reddy in a CNBC exclusive interview fresh off the call. Julia, take it away. Thanks, Melissa and Bill. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, um, so much to cover. Uh, so much to cover here, including this new partnership with Google. But I want to start off with your earnings because you did have an earnings beat, but revenue fell short despite the fact that you added far more monthly active users than anticipated. What was going on in this quarter? Yeah, so we're really proud of the quarter that we put up. Uh, as you noted, we saw one of our best user growth quarters ever, uh, accelerating to 11% growth, best quarter since Q1 of 2021 on the user side. And on revenue, we've seen solid acceleration through the year, uh, more than doubling our growth rate on revenue uh, in Q4 versus where we were uh, at the start of the year. So really strong acceleration there is at the midpoint of our guide. But one of the things that we're really excited about is that as we continue to launch more performance ad products, uh, we more than double the number of clicks we send to advertisers in Q4. They don't really shift budgets a lot in Q4, um, particularly that's the, with that being the holiday shopping season, but we've delivered a lot of value there, which is why we're seeing acceleration acceleration as we look into Q1, which was reflected in our guidance. Uh, And so we're off to a strong start in Q1, and we see more of that acceleration trend continuing as we look into next year. You've certainly implemented a lot of changes since you took over as CEO, but I'm watching this stock. It's down 9.5%. Bill, I hope you can address some of these concerns of investors who anticipated even stronger revenue guidance in the first quarter. The fact that your average revenue per user is lower than anticipated, particularly in the U.S., um, uh, speak to investors' concerns. Sure. Well, you know, yeah, it's, I think it's important to separate uh, expectations that got pretty lofty for us and for others in the space uh, over the last uh, month or two uh, from the business fundamentals. And if you look at the business fundamentals, we are executing well and have strong fundamentals that are accelerating on every single dimension. Users we already talked about uh, that are accelerating. We just put up our best uh, user um, uh, growth ever uh, or our best mile number ever, uh, accelerating user growth, accelerating revenue in the back half 
growing depth of engagement with users. Margins are expanding. Uh, we promised 200 basis points of margin uh, expansion for 2023. We delivered 660 with more margin expansion on the way. Uh, so as you look at the fundamentals of the business, those are all strong and accelerating. Uh, and there's a lot of tailwinds still in the business, both in terms of the value capture from things we've already delivered, like uh, the uh, doubling of clicks uh, to advertisers in Q4, as well as the continued progress on third-party demand, where we see our Amazon partnership scaling and performing well, mm -hmm. and we're bringing on new partners like Google to help us yeah. on the international front. Yeah, so explain to us this new partnership with Google. Um, why are you focusing with them just internationally, and should we expect that partnership to expand here in the U.S. as well? We really think about third-party ad demand as a way to round out uh, our auction. Uh, and so we started that with Amazon. We're quite pleased with that. Uh, it brought a great buying experience and a great uh, product catalog that's uh, additive to our users. We're growing engagement even, even as we increase ad impressions. Uh, so showing that those ads can be great content for our users. So we're quite pleased with that. You asked about ARPU earlier. You know, ARPU, uh, has been a highlight for us. We've grown users really rapidly. And when you look at the ARPU growth, if you decompose uh, international versus US, international is even stronger for us on user growth, but so many of those international markets for us are completely unmonetized. Mm -hmm. And so that becomes a drag on ARPU. And so we think bringing on a great partner like Google uh, that's present in those markets can help us to address the international ARPU. And we have a multi-pronged approach where we're also working with mm -hmm. resellers and agencies in those markets as well. Uh, and just a quick final question here, Bill, before we're out of time. On the earnings call that just wrapped up, you talked a lot about artificial intelligence, how you're already using AI to target ads and content, and with some more features in the works. Give us a sense of how AI might start to impact top-line growth this year. So AI is already driving great top line growth for us. AI is a core competency for us. I've talked about on past calls uh, where our large language models, uh, they're 100 times larger uh, than they were uh, a little over a year ago, have driven a 10% uh, improvement in relevancy for users. So as we're giving users more relevant recommendations, that's driving our depth of engagement with users. It's why we're winning with users broadly particularly with the next generation, Gen Z is now our largest, fastest growing demographic. We are winning with Gen Z. And we're seeing that AI capability play through in giving them great recommendations, great new content types like collages that we've talked about, improving the shoppability, and it's driving through on the ad side, where when we look at driving greater impressions while still driving up engagement, it's because that AI tuned on our really unique signal of users that shop on Pinterest, telling, telling us what they're interested in, that's letting us make better and better recommendations, more and more of that shoppable content being ads, that's driving really great returns for advertisers, which is why we're seeing really large, sophisticated advertisers shifting more and more budget to us and shifting from experimental and social budgets to performance budgets that tend to be larger and more durable. So AI is a core competency and driving great results for us and is a key part of why we see acceleration as we look into Q1 and in the next year. And certainly a big, big focus on shoppable content. Bill, thanks so much for joining us. Pinterest CEO Bill Reddy, really appreciate you taking the time. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Julia, thanks. Julia Borston. Guy, how do you trade this? Our put Tim. Average revenue per user. Thank you. US and, Canada, Thank you. US and Canada was disappointing. $8.07, $8.30 they're looking for. But you know what? Margins were better. And it's not a complete disaster. Rest of the world, by the way, they can move the needle there in terms of revenue. You're talking about something here with a company at 24 times not expensive given their growth rate. I say you buy the weakness.
Coming up, one more earnings report to dive into tonight. We are watching shares of Affirm. All the details out of that quarter after this break. More Fast Money in two. Money. We've got an earnings alert on a firm. The buy now, pay later stock down as much as 20% uh, after hours following its latest results. Kate Rooney joins us in San Francisco with the action. Kate. Hey, Melissa. So it was a solid quarter across the board for a firm. CEO Max Levchin kicking off that analyst call with sort of a flex. He skipped right to the Q&A. He said the numbers spoke for themselves, so he skipped that preamble. GMV guidance, so it was strong. It was not quite strong enough, though, for some based on expectations baked into that stock. If you look at how much a firm beat by in the fourth quarter, some thought that volume guidance should have actually gone up by more, and it's raising some questions on whether the second half might be slower for a firm. Mizuho called the stock drop a knee-jerk reaction. You can see it's recovered a little bit. The name is also highly shorted, so that tends to add to some of the volatility. A firm's losses narrowed in the quarter. Company beat by almost every metric. Revenue was up almost 50%, and then delinquencies were flat. That's something Wall Street watches closely. CEO Max Levgen says that was deliberate. They watched that closely. You had account growth up about 13%, and then loan loss provisions, guys, were a bit higher than expected, but that stock recovering a little bit here. Back over to you, Mel. All right, Kate. Thanks, Kate Rooney. I mean, we live in a world where down 11% is not that bad. Um, Tim, what do you make? Uh, you know, how I feel about these stocks. If you buy now, you're going to pay later. Uh, I just think the credit dynamics are awful <laughs> in their face. So, Very clever. No, thank you. you. There. Extremely thank you. clever. Yeah. Yep. Karen? Well, I, I mean, I, that, the delinquencies being flattish was sort of okay. It just, yeah. uh, you know, that did seem okay. But um, I, I, I haven't owned this one. I just don't quite get the whole buy now, pay later, finance it another way. All right. Up next, final trade. Final trade, Tim. Japanese stocks, all-time records, and going higher. Karen. Etsy. Dan. Yeah, pins. I think you buy the dip. We're moving Hi. quickly because I got to say, we've been doing this a long time, right? Seven years. The last person we have with us, I mean, this page, Amelia Lee, and I, we've had some great ones. Yes. She's on the top. She's number one, and today's her last day with us, number one. Number two, rarely do we get gifts, but we have this ragtag candy bag. She went to Etsy and had a candy bag made for us. The absolute that was the best, best over we've ever gotten ever in the history of Fast Money. We're going to miss one of the best pages. We are going to miss awesome. her for Thank sure. you, Amelia. Rig. Thanks for watching Fast. Good luck, Amelia. Mad yes. Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call. Text or chat 988 for free confidential support anytime. 
You don't have to hide how you feel. 